I haven't been here to preach or attend on a Wednesday night through the pretty much the whole month of December. So I appreciate Brother Luke handling that and preaching great messages that I've listened to that were fantastic. I encourage you to listen to them if you hadn't yet. But I'm glad to be back and want to pick back up into the Minor Prophet series. We have a lower crowd on Wednesday nights. That's normal. And I guess we're going to call you all the Minor Prophet fans. You know, you're here to hear more about the Minor Prophets. But if you'll be turning to Zechariah in the Word of God, if you'll turn to Zechariah, and as you're turning there, I'm going to read some context from the Bible to, to help set the stage for the prophet Zechariah, who is the next to the last of the minor prophets. We're going to have to slow it down with Zechariah because there is a lot in the book of Zechariah. And we're going to title these messages, or at least the first message on Zechariah, we're going to call it the night visions of Zechariah. So as you're turning to Zechariah, the first chapter, I'm going to read to you from Ezra, a couple spots from Ezra, and I'm not going to tell you where, so you won't be tempted to turn there. But we read in Ezra, it says, Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, or Joshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were, and notice this, I want you to catch this. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions, and said unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius, who was the, the, basically the ruler of the known world at that time. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. So what happened there was they sent a basically lobbyist off to King Darius five, six hundred miles away to lobby him to make the Jews stop their building that they were doing, stop building the temple. And I'm summarizing what happened. Basically, Darius said, if you hinder them building the temple, then we're going to pull the wood down out of your house and the bricks off of your wall to help them build the temple of God. So he, they got a favorable response from King Darius. But I'll tell you this, whether they did or not, they would have kept building because the hand of God was upon them. And in the next part of Ezra that's important for our context, it says, and the elders of the Jews builded... And they prospered, listen now, through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, who we've already looked at, and Zechariah the son of Edo. That's our subject tonight is Zechariah. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. You might be familiar with him from the book of Esther. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And if you do the math on that, they started around the second year. So that's about four years that they were building the temple. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. So that is a contextual sort of summary from the scripture of what is going on in the book of Zechariah. He was one of the prophets that prophesied during the time of Haggai and during the time when they had stopped building the temple, he, the Lord raised him up and he began to prophesy and they began to build the temple again. They had left off, you know, for about 14 or 15 years. They had their nice houses, but the house of God lay in ruins, okay? 
So in Zechariah, the first chapter, we read about the first prophecy of Zechariah. And we're going to find, from what I believe, in one night, he has the majority of the visions that God sends him. The night visions of Zechariah. So let's read in Zechariah, the first chapter, first verse. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, notice the same emperors on the throne there, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying... The Lord hath been sore to please, displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, when I, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. So we're going to break down the teachings of Zechariah and basically into two halves. You've got the first half, which is covered here in these few verses that I've read, and then the visions, the night visions of Zechariah that begin just following this. And then there's a second half where he has some visions later on in time. Now the time span that Zechariah covers as he preaches is about two years. It's a total of about two years, 22 months from the time that he begins until he concludes his prophecy. It's about a, a, 20, about a two year time span. And it's all connected with the time that Haggai is preaching. And notice Haggai begins preaching first, and then within three months or four months of Haggai preaching, God raises up Zechariah, and so they're preaching together. You got Haggai preaching at the same time that Zechariah is preaching. So notice in the first few verses here, he is reminding them of the past. You know, that's a theme that we have seen in the Minor Prophets. Have y'all noticed that? If you can remember back he reminds them of the past and past problems that have occurred. And he calls on them to repent. He says, remember the past. And notice, I believe it is in verse 2, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. The, the phrase there, sore displeased, is the Hebrew word which means to burst out in rage. The Lord was so disgruntled and so upset with the people's failure to respond with what he was teaching them through the prophets it's like the Lord it says he's sore displeased. He was ready to burst out in rage. And of course, we see that he burst out to the degree that he actually wiped out his own nation. He also refers to the fact that God judges sin and he gives the past judgment that God has uh, carried out as a warning. And he says in verse 3, as he often does throughout the prophets, return to me, turn ye unto me. The word turn, it means to regret or to withdraw. Now you think about the time frame that's going on here. Haggai has just started preaching. And Haggai has said, you've got your own houses that look so nice and so well kept. And look at the house of the Lord. And I have no doubt that he pointed a finger at times and said, look over there at how destroyed and disgusting the house of the Lord is. Now some of you older ones... <laughs> I know if Brother Furman here, he would, he would tell us a few tales about it. But he's told the story to me before, of back in the days before this building was over here, that we all, most of us, have worshipped in, and then we moved over here to this newer building. 
But the older building, if you want to see a picture of it, is up on the bookshelf in my study here. Uh, Sister Bobby gave me a picture of that old uh, church building that, that actually used to sit right here where we are. When they moved from the old church building that sat right here, they built this one to the side. Then Sister Maud paid to have the old building moved. She didn't want it torn down, and it used to sit right up here on the right before this property was bought, and it's been torn down since then. But if you want to see a picture of it, you can see that. And Brother Furman said, you know, there was a building even before that one. <laughs> he said it was in such bad shape that it was just embarrassing, you know, to go to church in that worn-down run-down building. And this is one of the verses we talked about from Haggai, where the prophet Haggai said, you've got nice houses, but the place where you are supposed to be going to worship me, it's a dump, <laughs> basically. You know, it's just, a, it's terrible. Now that's, that's been a problem. I understand, I totally understand that if somebody, if you're in a situation like in a time of the Great Depression or where everybody has nothing, the best that you can do is put up a log building or some kind of lumber building, you know, and do the best you can until the termites eat it down, then build another one. But there's no excuse for that whenever a people are as prosperous, especially as we are this day and time, and in the past when people have been prosperous, there's no excuse that the building of a church is, is worse off or looks worse or is a place that you would be embarrassed of when your own home looks fantastic, you see? I went to a place and visited a few years ago I was going to a playoff game for one of my nephews. And I think it was Brother Asher and myself. We were, we were traveling. This is several years ago. And it just so happened that this location where the playoff game was was in a town where they were having a meeting. And I, my kids know I'm the world's worst at combining preaching trips and traveling somewhere. <laughs> if I can find a church meeting and go, you know, I'm, I'm going to drag them to it. My kids have been on drugs since they were very small. They've been drugged to every church meeting that you can imagine. So we went to this particular meeting. It was some kind of associational meeting. And as I pulled into the town, I was so excited because it was a nice big, and, I'm, and the location on my GPS was like right smack dab in the middle of town. I was so excited. And I thought, this is great. This could be a prosperous church. It could be a great location for a church. And maybe they've got that vision. <laughs> so here's a high school on the right, CVS on the left, you know, little place to shop, gas station. And then in this grove of trees that you could hardly even see through with no concrete asphalt or anything, just cars just hodgepodge, you know, parked out in the grass. There was this awful looking building. And I'm not telling you where it is for a reason. I don't want to embarrass anybody that goes there if they even still go there. But it had mold coming off of the side, shingles falling off the roof. You couldn't even tell where the entrance was. As a matter of fact, I went up to a door and opened it and I was right beside the pulpit. Everybody was worshiping. I was like, whoa, sorry. So I had to go around and find a little path and find a way to get in. And, and I'm the, I don't remember any of the preaching from that day because I was too disgusted with what I was seeing that in the middle of this nice little town that was very populated, what an embarrassment that is for a church building to look like that. And shame on us if we ever have the attitude of that, which is exactly like the attitude of what they had in the days when... Haggai came along and started preaching, followed by Zechariah. Okay? I want you to see that. That is the issue. That was the issue of the day. The people were not focused on, on building the kingdom of God. Can we not identify with that in the day and time that we're living in? 
So what got them on board? It was the preaching of the gospel in those days. The Old Testament gospel. And as you will see in the book of Zechariah, it is thick with prophecies of the Messiah. It's almost like in a way, the closer that we get to the days of Christ coming, you know, this is going to be probably, I don't know, seven, 650, 700 years before Christ comes. You know, the closer you get to that time period, you know, the Lord is just ramping up more prophecies about His Son. And so that's what you got going on here in this 24-month time period. And if you throw in Haggai's time period, it's another six months or so. So you got a two-and-a-half-year period where these guys, by the, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God and under the preaching of the gospel that was known to them in those days through the prophets, they built the temple of God. If you throw in Nehemiah and you throw in Ezra into this mix, you see that not only was the temple built, but the wall around Jerusalem was built back. And all of this preparation is being made for, the, for Jesus Christ to come. You see? You say, well, we can't really identify with that. You know, he's already been here. Every stone that you lay in the kingdom of God, every effort, every thought, every Bible study, every prayer, every church attendance, everything that you do in the kingdom of God is in preparation of the return of the Son of God. Because it could be any time. See? It's even more important in this day and time, in a sense, mainly because you can't go in the past, nobody has a time machine, but it's so important for us to understand that everything we do is in anticipation of the return of the Son of God. And in this day, in a smaller way, they were looking for His physical first coming. You see? We're looking for the resurrection, which is going to be infinitely greater even than His quiet, physical first coming where it was not something that the whole world could see. They just overlooked that. But when He comes... The second time, there's not going to be any question about who he is. So in the first part here, you've got Haggai and Zechariah telling them, remember the past? Remember what happened? And look, listen, I read in one of the commentaries that I really liked uh, from Martin Luther. It said, Luther said this, made this comment. He was telling them, Zechariah was telling them, God was telling them through Zechariah, return to me, then build the temple. Not... Build the temple, then return. See, that's important. He wanted them to get their heart right towards the Lord, and then building the temple would mean so much more, you see? So he's telling them, turn from your thoughts and your direction and build the temple. Turn first and return to me and build the temple. And also the reason I believe that he's saying that is to prepare them for what Zechariah is about to share. Because it's it's pretty deep. It's pretty interesting. And when I say deep, I don't mean to shut your mind off and say, well, it's just something we can't understand. We can glean a lot from what Zechariah saw. A lot about the Messiah. A lot about what was going on in those days. And I think we can glean a lot about what we deal with today. So, after he encourages them to get their minds right, return to the Lord, let your heart be focused on the Lord in the kingdom building process that you're in, then he comes to verse 7. And that's where we have Zechariah's night visions. Upon the 4 and 20th day of the 11th month, you notice this came to him in the 8th month. So that's a couple months later. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month Sabbat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet, saying... Now, 
We're going to look at three of these night visions. I believe from what I can read, I number these as a total of 10. There's a total of 10 of these visions. I believe that these first five visions occurred in one night. Because you can read later that it's a different time whenever he gets these visions. So I believe all of these that we're going to look at in the first part, we're only going to get to about three, two, maybe three tonight, but these first five occur in one single night. Now you think about some nights that you've had. <laughs> maybe sleep, sleepless nights, sleepless nights, or maybe restful nights. And that's a, it's a lot of information packed into one single night of a man's sleep as he gets all these visions in this one night. Okay, there's some other visions that he gets at another time, but there's no break in what goes on here. As a matter of fact, if you'll follow along with me, maybe next time, maybe tonight, you'll see where it looks like he fell asleep. After some of the visions, he fell asleep, and then the angel wakes him back up and says, hey, hey, I'm not through. <laughs> so we have the visions of Zechariah in the night. And look at this in verse 8. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. And behind him there were red horses speckled in white. And then I said, O oh my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. Now if you do a real careful reading right here, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you can do that later. <laughs> but I believe that you'll see that the angel that talks with Zechariah is the man on the horse in the myrtle trees. Because it says in verse 10, And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? I hope you know, you Bible readers know the significance of that 70-year time period. See, that's come to an end now. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Now let's stop right there. Take stock of what we've got. This man among the myrtle trees... This, that's the first vision. I want you to understand that this is God taking account of the situation, not just in Jerusalem, but in the world. It's very comforting to know that God continues to take account of everything that's going on in the world. And notice how he presents this to Zechariah. There's a man among the myrtle trees sitting kind of in a bottom, like you know, in a swampy area or a low area, and this man is sitting upon a horse. It makes me think of the, the Revelation rider who sits upon a white horse. I believe this man that's sitting upon this horse is Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. So this man that's on the myrtle, among the myrtle trees on the horse, on a red horse, he has these other riders behind him in, you know, among the trees. It says they were speckled in white. That's how we would say it's a, a bay, okay? A horse like a bay. And Zacharias, like you or I, they said, well, what are these? What is this? And the angel, who I believe is the man upon the horse among the myrtle trees, says in verse 10, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. 
The phrase to and fro, I think many, many years ago, I actually preached a sermon on that phrase to and fro. It doesn't occur a whole lot in the Word of God, but you can look it up. It's a very interesting study to see the times that the phrase to and fro occur in the Word of God. Very notably, you'll find that when God confronted Satan, when he came into the worship service in the book of Job, two different times, the Lord said, where have you been? It's not like the Lord didn't know where Satan was, but he just wanted to hear what Satan had to say. And Satan said this, from going to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. Satan was basically being a smart aleck and saying, I'm going anywhere I want to go. And that's why one of the reasons God said, well, what about Job? You hadn't gone there. So Satan goes to and fro. Remember, Satan is not omniscient, omnipresent. He can't go anywhere all the time, but he can get around. Now, that's for sure. He's limited to this earth, and he can get around, but he's not like God who can go anywhere at any time and be anywhere, everywhere, all the time. Try to figure that brain teaser out. Brother Luke likes brain teasers. Grew up liking them, right? You know, why does God have to send somebody to figure something out? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't. But he does that from time to time. He sent two angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see whether or not all the stuff that he already knew was actually taking place. Figure that one out. That's how God chooses to work. He's not a tame lion. Amen? <laughs> He's not a tame lion. He can do whatever he wants to do and represent himself and present himself any way he wants to. And here in this God sending these angels maybe even Christ, on these horses to go to and fro throughout the earth. God is surveying the earth to see what's going on in the earth. And God is not pleased. He's not pleased with what's going on in the earth. They are whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And so we get the answer to what they're doing. Y'all understand that? We know this is not one of those deep, dark, prophetical things that theologians can pontificate about and kick back and forth. We know exactly what these riders are on these horses. They have been sent from God to walk to and fro through the earth. So they've traveled all over the earth to see what's going on. And they say, look at verse 11, they say, we have walked to and fro through the earth and behold, all the earth sit is still and is at rest. You say, that's a good thing. Rest is a good thing, right? Not always. It's not a good thing here. And you'll see why. The angel of the Lord answers and says, now, now the Lord, th this angel turns his attention to the Lord. I actually wasted a little bit of time and actually copied and pasted this out into a dialogue. You know, y'all can waste time like that too. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes you find some gems, sometimes you don't. But I copied and pasted this out into a dialogue. Zechariah, angel of the Lord, writers, Lord of hosts. It's kind of interesting. And, he, and so the angel, which I believe is the man in the myrtle, on the horse in the myrtle trees, he says, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these 70 years? You see, for 70 years, the witness of God as a nation has basically ceased to exist. The law of Moses in a, in a great in tremendous way has kind of passed into oblivion. Makes me think of the Lord of the Rings, Brother Luke. Somebody told me the other day I was quoting the Lord of the Rings too much. Somebody told me also they didn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> but those things which should not have been forgotten have become legend. You see? Where do you think Tolkien got this stuff from? Come on. Where do you think C.S. Lewis got this stuff from? There's no greater drama. There's no greater, uh, there's nothing, and it's true. <laughs> so there's nothing, there's no greater story that you could ever find than the, the, 
the story of God's kingdom versus the kingdoms of the world. And what should not have been forgotten has gone into oblivion for 70 years. And the earth has lain quiet without a witness, a, a mighty witness in the temple and in the sacrifices. It's gone for 70 years without this witness. And the Lord is not happy. So the Lord has surveyed the world. What's going on in the world without my witness there? And it is awful. It's awful. It doesn't mean there's not any children of God. Now, don't ever forget that. You old, good old Baptists know better than that. It doesn't mean there's not children of God in the world, but it means there's nobody standing up and representing God as they once were. You say, well, are you telling me, Brother Tim, that in those days there was pretty much really only one nation that was representing God? In the... That's absolutely right. Because God in His sovereignty had chosen to set His name on that one nation. You say, well, what about today? There's people in every nation. There were people in every nation back in those days. But in terms of the representation of God and the ambassadors for God in worship and in what God's heart said to man... It was in the nation of Israel. And for 70 years, it's passed into oblivion. Things that should not have been forgotten have been lost in oblivion, in captivity. And God has sent out His messengers and looked all throughout the world. Is there anybody in the world worshiping me in spirit and in truth? Oh, child of grace, if you can't see the relevance of that to you today and feel the burden that God lays upon you as an individual to maintain the representation of Christ in an accurate way before the Lord and before the world. Who else is going to do it if you don't do it? You see? It's no different than the times of Zechariah when that, that had passed into oblivion. Do you know how small the number of primitive Baptists is and growing smaller every day? You know how small the representation of the accurate representation of worship and truth in the world is? I mean, everybody knows the name of Jesus, pretty much. I mean, and, and there's some places where they use the word Jesus as a cuss word. And there's some places they use the word Jesus as something that's some kind of byword and doesn't mean anything. But child of grace, let us never use the name Jesus as though it has passed into some oblivion and has no meaning. Because it does have meaning. It still has meaning. And just like those in the days of Zechariah when there was just a handful of people there to represent the truth of God, to represent the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God, I tell you, whenever the Lord comes back, there'll just be a little handful of God's people representing the Lord as ambassadors from a foreign nation. <laughs> Where is that foreign nation? It is in heaven, you see. Jesus Himself said, when the Son of Man returns... Shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus, in his mind, wondered, if you will, if that's a good way to put it, because God doesn't wonder about anything. But Jesus, in his mind, made the statement in relation to prayer. Remember? He said, shall the Lord find faith? Shall the Lord find people praying on the earth when he comes back? Will there be one child of God left doing that? There'll be children of God everywhere. But will they be praying? Or will they be watching TikTok? Or will they be watching Twitter? Will they be watching the news feed? Will they be watching the next thing to dazzle the eyes that comes across the screen? Is that what God's going to find? Children of God doing that? Wasting time doing that? You see? It's very relevant to us today. God takes account. He's gone to and fro throughout the earth and there's nobody representing Him in the way that He wants to be represented. You see? So, the man on the, the rider on the horse is troubled by this. And he says, Oh Lord, how long? 
How long are you going to wait until you raise that witness back up? <laughs> and the Lord answered the angel. You know, Zechariah is getting to hear this. The rider on the horse looks up to heaven and says, Oh, Lord of hosts, how long are you going to have mercy? It's been 70 years. And then I don't know what was said, but I know the, I know the way that it was said. The Lord of hosts speaks to the rider and it says there were good words and comfortable words. That's a great way to be spoken to, isn't it? Good words and comfortable words. So in that interchange that took place between the rider on the horse and the myrtle trees and the Lord of hosts, good and comfortable words were exchanged. In other words, I'm about to raise my witness back up. And that's what these people were doing. That's what they were doing in this area. They were raising the witness of God back up. How? By building the temple of God under the command of God. And in this instance, even under the command of a pagan, heathen, foreign king. Which is amazing. So the angel, verse 14, that communed with me, with Zacharias, which I believe is the man, the rider sitting on the horse in the myrtle trees, the man among the myrtle trees. He looks at Zacharias and he says, Now you go cry and say that thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. I believe not only was this the time that the Lord was here to raise the kingdom back up, but it also means that the Lord had looked out in the world and taken a survey by going to and fro in the world and He found there's nobody in the world that is doing what my bidding, that nobody in the world representing me. So he says, go and tell my people that are here now, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are, with the heathen that are at ease. You see that? The writers went out and said, we have found that the world is at rest. Everybody, nobody, everybody thinks the Lord has gone His way. Now they're back to their, we're only concerned with their pantheon of gods, their false gods and their false worship and their murdering of children and abortion and worship like they were doing, worshiping fertility and worshiping procreation. You know, God is displeased with this. And He says, it's time for me to raise up a witness. He says, I'm very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. That means that they went beyond what I ever anticipated for them to do. You see? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Listen to the language. This is the message that Zechariah took to the people. And see, they had to be looking to the Lord. They had to have their minds and their hearts turned back toward the Lord to even hear this. He comes and he says, I saw this vision. I saw this man in the myrtle trees. The first vision I saw last night. And he, the man told me to tell you that the Lord has returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. That is something to measure with. You see, the Lord has gone out in the world and taken account. And he says, I don't like what I see. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to raise up a people that are going to build for me and have a witness for me in this holy mountain of Jerusalem and he said cry yet and say thus saith the Lord of hosts my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad you want to know what that means for the church of God today when the Lord comes to a place and he blesses it to revive and he blesses the truth to grow that is a verse that all people ought to take to heart God's people ought to take to heart because through prosperity shall the kingdom of God grow that when the Lord blesses nothing can hinder that there might be there's going to be opposition there's going to be negativity but when the Lord blesses it's going to to grow through that prosperity, you see? 
Why? How? They're going to build. They're going to make the temple look better than their own houses. You see that? They're going to put more time and attention and effort on the kingdom of God than they are on themselves. Is that not a slap in the face to us today when there's so many different things that we could spend our time doing? And it's not, it's not wrong to spend time doing things. I don't mean that, but the excess to which we spend time doing things. He says, cry yet and say, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. What words of comfort. Then lifted I up mine eyes and saw beheld four horns. Now this is, we get into the second vision that he sees in this one particular night. But I want you to notice, in closing our thoughts on the first vision there, I want you to see that God takes a survey. He takes account of what's going on in the world. And based on Him taking account, He is displeased. Because the heathen, the world, in its worldliness, is at rest. So you know what that means, right? When God raises up people to build His kingdom, it's going to stir up the world. you get that? <laughs> Because the world is not a friend to the kingdom of God. The entire scope of history, the entire story of history can be summed up in the competition between the kingdom of God, the city of God, versus the kingdoms of men and the cities of men. The city of God versus the city of men. And here, physically in these days, God is coming back to raise up people to build His wasted city. Which, by the way, don't ever forget, He wasted it Himself because of the disobedience of the people. He's God, none can say His hand, and none can say unto Him, what doest thou? Let that be a warning to us. We could live in such a way. You say, you, you've, you've been blessed with such prosperity in the kingdom of God. You've seen people coming. We have new people coming to the kingdom of God in this area all the time. But we could take it for granted, and we could misuse it in such a way, and misuse, don't, don't misunderstand, I'm not talking about leaving the lights on and running the power bill up, Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you know, leaving the water running and the next thing you know, you got a high water bill. That's not abusing the kingdom of God, okay? That's just forgetfulness. I'm talking about, because this building is not the kingdom of God. You are the kingdom of God. You are the lively stones of the kingdom of God. And God's people could misuse each other in such a way to where we could lose what we have. God forbid that that would ever happen. And we all make mistakes and we all... Say things we shouldn't say, do things we shouldn't. That happens. The question is, are we letting the, the Holy Spirit, the lifeblood of the church of God, minister and flow and, and deal with us? You see? Don't think for one second. You say, how could, how could all that we've been blessed with ever be lost? It can be gone just like that. Just like that. Based on how we fail to treat one another or how we treat one another. If we misuse one another. That's exactly what was going on in the days when God wiped out His own nation. Then lifted I up mine eyes, verse 18, and saw, and behold, four horns. And here we have God preparing to tear down. He said, I be, Zechariah says, I beheld four horns. This is the second vision of this single night that he has these visions in the night. And I said unto the angel, talk with me. What be these? Again, he said, I want to know what these are. And he answered me and said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So I don't know, we could probably look in history and name, you know, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, you know, different things like that. But these are the, the powers. Horn represents power. A horn represents power. And these are the powers that God has raised up to wipe out his own nation. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Now, there's been 
some disputes through commentaries and studies through the years about whether that's a good translation or not. I, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just telling you, some of the commentators say that the word is better translated as a blacksmith. But here it's carpenters. I, I think carpenters is fine because the Lord's getting ready to build. He's tearing things down. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a very good car, carpenter, and I, and I don't even know how to begin to understand blacksmithing. <laughs> I mean, I did do a little welding and torching and stuff like that, but that's nowhere near blacksmithing and making stuff out of metal. But I'm a great terror downer. Is that a word? <laughs> I can tear stuff down, let me tell you. I can tear anything down. Now, I have a little harder time putting it back up at a right angle, <laughs> but... I can tear some stuff down now. If you need tear down stuff, I can tear it out, tear it down, get a tractor, knock it down. I can do it. It's a little harder to build up. But the Lord says, basically, I've got these carpenters or maybe blacksmiths. I've got these bulldozers that are going to come in here and wipe this place clean. Okay? The Lord showed me four carpenters and then said, I, what come these to do? These men are coming to work. You ever seen a carpenter show up on a site to work you know he's got all kinds of tools he's got his bag he Zechariah sees these carpenters or blacksmiths coming and it says these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no he's talking about the first four by the way and so that no man did lift up his head but these four carpenters are come to fray them to cast out the horns of the Gentiles which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it now some people have said that those four horns could have been Zerubbabel, Josedek, Nehemiah, and Ezra. I mean, he doesn't say that. Who knows? But whatever it is, they've come to bulldoze and to wipe out that which was in the way. Now, the word fray is a word that is used when it comes to dehorning something. Okay? I have some experience in that, some life experience in that. One of the most terrifying times... It, to my heart and my stomach was we would do it anyway, even though it was kind of terrifying. You, we dehorn cows. And I hated that. Oh, I hated it. I hated the crunch of the horn when you put the dehorners on there and you crunch that off and a cow began to yell, you know, begin to bray. When you frayed him, he brayed. <laughs> and so and when you did that, you had to put stuff on it to keep it from bleeding out. And I remember a few times, I mean, it was grotesquely interesting, you know. <laughs> You'd go down there after we dehorned about 30 or 40 and the whole... The whole lot was red. The cows were red. The rails were red. The ground was red because they're just sitting there just spraying blood out of their head. I mean, it's, it's nasty. And I hated those times. But now we, we, I didn't back up. I did them because Dad said to do them. And you just, sometimes you just got to do things you're told to do. But I hated the crunching sound of those horns getting lopped off by the frayer, by the dehorner. And then we'd have to put tar or we eventually got into burning, you know, uh, with a brand, you know, burning them, cauterizing them. And that's what he's talking about right here. The Lord is going to dehorn these powers. That ought to give us some comfort. The Lord can bleed out any power on the earth that he wants to. China, America, Britain. Any power that he wants to bleed out and render powerless, he can do that at any time. It's interesting to me that if those four carpenters are representative of people, men, prophets, preachers, it's interesting to me sometimes how the Lord does it. You know, 
He could make his own nuclear bomb if he wanted to and just go boom and just render some country useless. That's not how he works. The Lord works nowadays through the preaching of the gospel. So you want to know how the Lord dehorns and takes down powers? He does it through his kingdom. Does that make sense? It's his kingdom. And that comes back to you and to me. It's his kingdom, you see? So as we conclude our thoughts there tonight, we've looked at two of the night visions of Zechariah. What I've studied here, I've been studying this for months because I hadn't spoken to you in a while, but what I've studied here has kind of halted me and slowed me down. And I have really enjoyed looking at it and I'm enjoying sharing it with you. And I ask that you continue to pray for me that we can continue to look at these night visions.